Oh man, when you're not napping by choice, and you 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 know, I didn't I didn't skip it so much as I hit the wall before it started. It's not like you would run through a wall for this podcast. I suspect you probably would run through a wall for this podcast, but when you hit the wall, hitting the wall is just hitting the wall. I've never heard someone respond to that phrase before, by the way, by saying, I don't know how fast I'd run through that wall, but I'd run through it. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Glad you joined us. Thanks for downloading the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. You have joined podcast number 220, the game day edition for week 10 of the Division Three football season. It really seems like it was August just like five minutes ago, and now we are eight days away from the end of the season, eight days away from Selection Sunday, nine days away from Selection Sunday. I guess it depends on when you listen to this. Uh, I'm Pat Coleman at D3Football.com. We've got our uh, co-host, extraordinaire uh, co-host regular here back with us keith mcmillan keith welcome back glad to be back i listened to the uh, greg thomas and pat podcast in the car earlier today and uh, my kids were amused that it says my name in the intro but uh, they pretty clearly could tell that wasn't me <laughs> yeah that's a good point uh, i i suppose that uh, we should maybe have um dave McHugh just kind of uh revoice a bunch of extra voices you know we used to do that when we used to broadcast games right there would be he would uh, create an open for any of a multitude of combinations so somewhere for example there's a uh there's a d3football.com old broadcast open that has like kevin neas's name on it or john mcgraw or gordon mann or dave McHugh, etc and we could just kind of piece those two together and make it work. I guess it could make. I guess we could make Dave do some work, considering we put him in the credits uh, every week for something that he did like two years ago. We're going pretty deep down the the D three football dot com history hole here, but um, I'm actually thrilled that we that we've gotten the the whole team and the inner circle on the podcast this year. We've had Adam Turr um, not just contribute weekly, but he's uh, co hosted once. Frank co hosted last week, and now Greg. Has uh, has co-hosted, and I don't know if you guys have a bracketology show coming up, maybe a three-way. But um, I'm happy to do our regular two pods a week, and we should dive right into this one because we got a lot to get to. We do. There are a bunch of big games this week. Of course, there are uh, three teams who have already clinched automatic bids. For those of you who missed out, uh, that is UW Whitewater clinched the WIAC, St. John's in the MIAC, and Barry in the SAA. A bunch more teams can clinch this week, and and Keith has sort of made it his his thing over the last decade plus. If you remember back to when uh, Keith was writing the Around the Nation column, often this time of year, the bottom of the column would just be this big long list of scenarios and things that teams had to do to clinch. And we're going to have a bunch of that for you here today as we get you ready for week 10 games. Yeah, because in all honesty, most of us follow one team, one conference, and we have a pretty good handle on what's going on, say, in the North Coast or the Northwest. But then all of a sudden you have all these other things that matter to you, but you don't follow that conference every year. So we're going to try to quickly uh, make sense of, of the national picture here for you. And basically uh, there are 28 conferences. There's uh, we can take out, take away the NESCAC because they don't participate in the playoffs. And then there are 26 Pat, am I right? 26 bids on the line this year, uh, automatic bids. Correct. So, Three of those are clinched. That's uh, the WIAC, UW-Whitewater, the MIAC, St. John's, the SAA, Barry. And in two of those conferences, 
uh, there are there are second and third place teams who are in the running for uh, potential at large bids. So um, and I guess technically the WIAC uh, teams are, are in the running as well. So even though we're going to take those three out of this discussion for right now and talk mostly about the other 23 conferences that have automatic bids to hand out, a bunch of those could be clinched uh, this Saturday. I've got 11 conferences that uh, that could clinch this week and then five more with huge games in week 10. Then there are five conferences that are waiting for week 11, that there, there won't be any resolution right away. And then five more conferences where the picture, even two weeks out, is so uh, cloudy and involves multiple teams that, uh, that we should just leave those for the end and discuss those potential tie scenarios at the end of this. So I'm just going to run everything down here, starting with the five conferences that have these huge games in, in week 10. That's the Empire 8, Cortland at Brockport. You'll hear later in the podcast, Frank previews that one. And um, yeah. yeah, as we go through our six games of the week, Frank will, will give you a better rundown on this one. This one. But basically, the Empire 8. We've spent all year talking about Brockport because they were a Final Four team last year. They're undefeated. They are... Um, on the brink, it seems like of setting a record for fewest rushing yards every every week. Uh, the the opponent has negative rushing yards. We spent a lot of time talking about the Golden Eagles. We haven't talked hardly at all about the the Red Devils and Red Dragons. The Red Devils. Yeah, I was like, that's not right. I, I, at least I knew it when I said it, and not uh, forty five minutes later or tomorrow when I hear it uh, on the podcast. We haven't talked about Cortland much at all, and this is their chance to to gain some uh, national attention with uh with an upset they'd have to go on the road to brockport and win but this is one of those teams and one of those rare scenarios where uh, a team that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about or that nationally is not ranked hasn't um gained a lot of attention quite yet can insert itself into the playoff picture Cortland is seven and one they would take control they would they would win the empire eight essentially by beating brockport this week and um then that puts Brockport in Pool C. So if you're a Pool C team uh, or a team that's in contention uh, in Pool C, you want Brockport to continue to win. You want you want to actually root for the dominant teams, as strange as that may sound, because in a couple of weeks you may be playing one of them and, and rooting against them. So we'll get to all that in a little bit. Empire 8, we talked about. The CCIW, I think that game is huge as well. Illinois Wesleyan, uh, they would clinch with a win. And all heck could break loose if North Central wins. That game is uh, is at Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, it's a 2 p.m. game. A lot of the great games in the CCIW this season have been under the lights. 6 p.m., 7 p.m. kickoffs. This one is in the afternoon, so we'll know early what happens there. But essentially, there's also going to be another CCIW game going on at the same time. And if North Central wins, they don't clinch, but they, they're in control. But then they have to beat Milliken next week. But then Milliken also has to take care of Wash U. Basically, there are five teams right now in the CCIW that are at least six and two. And uh, Illinois Wesleyan with a win would clinch and make it easy. Not so easy if North Central wins. The NJAC, they can't uh, finish things off this week, but Wesley, which is uh, five and three with those three one point losses, they are at Salisbury. Uh, Salisbury's eight and no, but they would still have to beat Frostburg in week 11. Then you have the Heartland, where Hanover must beat Rose Holman to force a play in game with Franklin in week 11. And you have the Commonwealth Coast Conference, where Western New England, Endicott, and Salve Regina sort of are playing a two week, three team round robin to uh, to earn that conference's automatic spot. 
Western New England, of course, won at Salve Regina 41-14 back in week five. So they have that that win in their pocket. There are, co- there are 11 conferences, Pat, where things could be pretty simple, pretty easily. A couple of these actually could turn into three-way tie scenarios if, if a certain team doesn't win. But essentially, these are the conferences that we can expect to have a team clinch on Saturday. There's 11 of these. You probably see eight or nine of them at least earn their automatic bid. So I'll just take them real quickly. That's the MASCAC where Framingham State plays at Western Connecticut. Western Connecticut can clinch. In the Liberty League, RPI needs a win, uh, either St. Lawrence this week or Union next week in the Dutchman Shoes game to clinch. In the NAC, Eureka clinches with a win. In the ECFC, Husson would clinch by beating Gallaudet. If Gallaudet wins, SUNY Maritime's technically still in the race. In the ODAC, Randolph-Macon clinches with a win or Hampton-Sydney loss. In the Northwest, Whitworth would clinch with a win. In the pack, W&J could clinch, and Case Western Reserve is still on the fringe in Pool C. But in that conference, the big game between those two teams has already been played. W&J won that one 44-36. In uh, the Centennial, also the big games are in the books. Johns Hopkins is in control. Muhlenberg is a Pool C hopeful. In the Skyac, Claremont Mudscripts, they need to beat either Chapman this week or they need to win next week to clinch. Mountain Union and uh, Mary Harden-Baylor, you can pretty much sleep through those ones because you can expect those two teams to clinch on Saturday. Yeah, I have to agree with uh, any of these, right? Uh, Husson, the Husson-Gallaudet game, I know we're uh, we're kind of digging down deep here, but uh, uh, it's interesting because Gallaudet, of course, is mathematically alive because you know they still have their they still have control of their destiny they play Husson and SUNY Maritime in the last 2 weeks i assume that you saw the strength of schedule for Gallaudet which currently is the uh, the first time and only time i've ever seen a team at this point in the season with a strength of schedule under 200 yeah it's a, the not like a backup catcher uh, well that's where the, the mendoza line comes from right uh, we've never seen usually strength of schedule numbers hang around 500 or maybe between 400 to 600 uh, you don't see them get over six very often, and you definitely don't see them go under four too often. I don't think we've ever seen one go under 200. What it tells us is it's probably not a uh, team that's going to that's gonna beat Husson, but even if it does, it's going to have the worst uh, playoff seating of all time. We'll be back in just a moment to preview the games coming up in week 11, some of the tiebreaker scenarios and some of the games that affect Pool C and what Pool C looks like. But uh, we'd like to take this time right now to let you know that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast this week is brought to you by In the Huddle, which is bringing back D3 Blitzer for the second year in a row. D3 Blitzer is a live whip-around style show, which will do live look-ins on 16 games in Division III's East Region, covering nine conferences plus Thomas Moore's game, which is going to be big for Pool B purposes. Uh, several games that uh, feature teams that could clinch and or win their conference in the East Region. Husson, RPI, the Brockport-Cortland game, Amherst. This broadcast starts at uh, 11.50 a.m. Eastern Time. Of course, it's Eastern Time. It's the East Region. On, uh, and continues until 4 o'clock or later. You can find links to it on Twitter at, at D3FBHuddle or you can find it on Facebook by searching D3Huddle. It's a, it's a Facebook live broadcast. You can find it there. If you guys watched our first round playoff coverage on D3Football.com last year, this right here is the East Region version. And really, 
this is not too different than how we here at uh, D3Football.com Central watch Division Three football ourselves, kind of bopping around from game to game, see the important parts, moving on to something else. They are going to whip it around for you. They're going to get you to the big moments, and they're going to make sure that uh, they have all the clinchers there and uh, have everything for you. It should, be, it should be really fun. I know it was fun to be part of it when it was the first round of the playoffs last year, Keith, and I'm sure it's fun to watch too. It is, Pat. I, uh, I was at work that day when you guys did it last year, but I was able to uh, watch it from my work computer. And then when I uh, went to go get food, I had it on my phone and I had just plugged my headphones in and I was watching you guys uh, go, go through these key moments in the game. And basically, if you folks out there have ever dreamed of having a D3 style show where it's, it's basically like the NFL Red Zone, except with hosts. Um, they're going to do that for you uh, on D3 Blitzer, and I think you guys will will really like it. And the, the great thing about it, too, is like if you have some sort of commitment on Saturday where you want to watch and you want to pay attention to certain parts, but you, you can't necessarily block off four hours, you can have this either on in the background, you can have it on your phone, you can have it on uh, on your second screen at work, whatever, and, uh, and, and check in for an hour, check in for half an hour, bop in, because... As, as they whip around, you'll also be able to, to, uh, to whip around with them. So I think it's a really cool idea, and I hope we do it again for uh, for the first week or two of the postseason. I hope we're capable of doing that. I, I think we have a staffing issue for doing it ourselves. But you can watch the East Region ver- version and uh, see all that. Frank Rossi and James Baker will get you all around to those games. Thanks to In the Huddle for supporting the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Coming up next week, of course, there's a, a bunch of games. I really love, of course, the fact that we've got uh, a conference title game next week, right? Uh, Monmouth versus St. Norbert, as if anybody is surprised at those two teams playing for the Midwest Conference crown. Right. Like, what else is new? It, it's sort of every year with the Scots and the Green Knights. In the uh, in the USA South, Averett is still alive, but essentially um, North Carolina Wesleyan and will go to Maryville in week 11 and there's a chance that most likely that will be the, the for the for the title in the MIAA same thing Kalamazoo lost last week but they'll get a chance to uh to beat Trine and they'll host Trine in week 11 and then these two games aren't for the conference title but they're big games in week 11 in the MIAC essentially uh, St. Thomas and Bethel will play for a pool C spot and it's a chance that the in the OAC Baldwin Wallace and John Carroll could be playing for a pool C spot as well. So those are teams that, assuming everything falls into place as expected here in Week 10, they'll have the huge games in Week 11. Yeah, I believe Trine can clinch the automatic bid for the uh, MIAA this week if they win and if Hope defeats Kalamazoo, because that will leave then uh, Hope with one conference loss and already having lost head-to-head to Trine. So that's something where Trine can win with help, or can certainly clinch it on the field by themselves in Week 11. Yeah, Kalamazoo really hurt itself with the loss to Olivet this this past week. They were unbeaten at that point, and we thought there would there maybe you know would be a showdown in Week 11 of unbeaten teams with with one playoff spot on the line because you certainly don't expect the MIAA to send a second team to the playoffs. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. All right, so now we got five conferences that are a problem. And by that, I mean multiple teams could tie. Can't. There's no cut and dry way to explain it, so we'll just, we'll just dive into the five conferences. They are the NUMAC, the MAC, the American Rivers Conference, which if you haven't listened to a podcast since last season, that's the old IIAC or Iowa Conference. North Coast, 
and the UMAC. Essentially, uh, the ARC, the North Coast, and the UMAC are good old-fashioned three-way tie scenarios. The, the MAC is the classic pack scenario from last year or the 11-team conference problem. <laughs> if you have a conference where everybody doesn't play each other and two teams that don't play each other happen to be the best two teams in the conference, you have a problem. And that's the one that the MAC has with Delaware Valley and Misericordia right now on top of the conference, not slated to play each other. And uh, we think, Pat, am I right, that Misericordia could be on the outside looking in because of its, uh, because it doesn't play Del Val or Stevenson? Yeah, basically how it works is the tiebreaker goes to Delaware Valley as long as Stevenson finishes ahead of FDU Forum in the standings. Uh, they have a, a two-game lead in the standings with two games to go, so that, could, that tiebreaker could be clinched this week, too, if Stevenson wins or FDU Forum loses. And now Misericordia would be a Pool C candidate, but um, they they're they would be pretty far down the list. So so they're kind of they get in the short end of the stick here. Now maybe they should be just thrilled with having a season that right now is seven and one, potentially could get to nine and one. It's the uh, one of the great program turnarounds of all time, uh, as we've noted many times on the podcast. Right, they had five wins in program history yeah. coming into this season. They're at seven right now. So. But I think when you get a taste of that winning, you don't want it to stop when you get to nine and one. They could they could get into the playoffs. They could host a playoff game or you know whatever. Um, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah, they are. They're not in the regional rankings this week. Uh, they're stuck behind Merchant Marine because that's their one loss is head to head to Merchant Marine. Merchant Marine was nine in the East. And it would be difficult for Misericordia to leapfrog them. Also, because Misericordia doesn't play Del Valor Stevenson, that means their strength of schedule is really low. It's well below 500, and that would also make it very difficult for them to get an at-large with a one-loss, uh, a one-loss record. When Misericordia lost to Merchant Marine 30 to nine back on September 1st, Pat, you and I didn't think much of it. I'm sure we didn't even discuss that game on the the podcast of that week. But now that's a, that's a, a important game because as we look at the new Mac, and this is a conference where there is no automatic bid on the line, but essentially with just Thomas Moore being the uh, only independent, it, it's basically the the best team in the new Mac or Thomas Moore takes one playoff spot. That's Pool B this season. And the interesting thing I think that could happen here, Pat, is whoever the conference champion is doesn't necessarily mean that's the team that grades out best right. on the playoff criteria. So I don't know if if winning the conference is uh, is really the goal at, at this point for whichever team is out in front in the new Mac. Yeah, I think they're going to probably end up sharing the conference title if if both uh, if both MIT and Merchant Marine continue to win out. Obviously, they will share a conference title. And even though MIT has the head-to-head, MIT has a strength of schedule that's under 500. So while they would win a tiebreaker if there were a tiebreaker for a conference title and and for an automatic bid, they do not make a better candidate for a, for a playoff bid. And I'm sure that's why the committee puts Merchant Marine in there. Merchant Marine right now has a strength of schedule of over 600, partially because of that Misericordia game and and other things. So. It, it is definitely interesting, and we've seen it like happen this way in terms of uh, at-large teams and second-place teams where the committee thinks that one tied for second-place team is better than the other. Uh, this is basically not really any different. Well, here's a situation in, in the new MAC right now. MIT, Merchant Marine, Springfield, all 4-1 and one in conference. MIT 7-1 overall, Merch Marine 6-1, Springfield 6-2. And, and you have Coast Guard and WPI, both 3-2 and two 
in the conference, five and three overall. WPI and Coast Guard play each other this week, so one of those teams will uh, will no longer be considered, although they're sort of just here uh, as window dressing or as full consideration at this point. But week 11 could be interesting because Springfield is at MIT and then Coast Guard is at Merchant Marine in the Secretary's Cup huge rivalry game. And this season, that may have some extra oomph to it because it's not just one of the best scenes in Division Three, but Merchant Marine could be looking at a uh, a, a playoff spot. You got MIT and Merchant Marine in Springfield as the three new Mac teams that have the the playoff shot. And then I think Thomas Moore is still in this thing. Now, Thomas Moore goes to St. John's in week 11, and they've already uh, they already have two losses on the season. The losses are to North Carolina, North Carolina Wesleyan, which is in right, which is in the in the mix in the USA South and then to Muhlenberg, which is in the in a pool C contention in uh out of the centennial conference but they have a nice win against uw platteville in the middle there so that thomas moore i think the pool b discussion when we talked to coach catanzaro back on podcast uh 216 and we talked about the playoff selection criteria and he gave us this great window into how it's done he basically said pool b happens very quickly there's usually not much to discuss but those were the years when mary harden baylor right when the american southwest didn't have its uh, automatic bid a lot of times pool B was very easy to discuss because of that reason. In this case, I think this might be a, a, a the longest or a longer pool C discussion that I mean pool B discussion than normal because you have Thomas Moore against whoever is the, the last team or two or three standing in the new Mac. Yeah, I think if you're in a situation where Thomas Moore has one more loss than the best criteria team in the new Mac, then I think it really is a very interesting discussion. If Thomas Moore loses at St. John's on Saturday, November 10th, then it's kind of a moot point. Exactly. So moving along real quickly, the NESCAC is the 28th conference and for whatever it's worth, 7-0 Amherst is at 6-1 Trinity this week. Trinity's loss is to 5-2 Williams, which of course plays Amherst in the oldest rivalry in D3 in week 11 and that rivalry of course is older than any rivalry in d2 or in the bowl championship subdivision as well the only rivalries that are longer are of the uh, lehigh lafayette variety in uh in uh the football championship subdivision so let's talk pool c for everyone who is not necessarily following a a team that could that could clinch this weekend or next and, you know, if, you're, if your team's not out of it or you're just interested in this, I, I feel like a lot of times in the playoff um, selection process, this is the most interesting part. Right now, we're looking at at least eight teams that will have pretty good cases for the, uh, for the five at-large spots. So this is where it gets really interesting. And right now, actually, I, I count 11 teams uh, that, that I'm going to discuss here in a second. I think right now you got three games that could be if things break a certain way, these could be play-in games for for Pool C. That's uh, St. Thomas and Bethel in Week 11. That winner is potentially in Baldwin Wallace and John Carroll, potentially a uh, a second playoff team out of the OAC. And then Salisbury and Frostburg, the loser of that game, if both of those teams are still undefeated when they meet in Week 11, the loser of that game would have a pretty good shot in Pool C. The winner, of course, would clinch the NJAX automatic bid. Now. Salisbury has to play Wesley this week, so they have to they have to get to the Frostburg game. And if you're someone who I'm about to mention, 
below this list, Muhlenberg, Center, Harden, Simmons, you want to root for Salisbury to lose to Wesley and to Frostburg. They'd be out of the pool C picture entirely if that happened. Center, as we saw in the uh, regional rankings when they came out on Wednesday, they are ranked ahead of Harden-Simmons. So uh, they have, for the moment, a pretty good shot in Pool C. Although, as you guys mentioned in the podcast uh, on Thursday with, uh, with Pat and Greg, you, you mentioned that the first round of regional the first round of regional rankings doesn't include regional rankings, right? Because they don't exist yet. Therefore, they can't be applied as criteria. So I wonder if Harden-Simmons may jump center. Well, I guess they won't. They would, they would, center would have the game against Barry, and, and Harden-Simmons would have the game against Mary Harden-Baylor. Yeah, I think in both of those cases, uh, that is a game against a regionally ranked opponent, but it's also a game against uh, a team that's already in that ranking. Uh, so it, it counts in the head-to-head category as well. So I'm thinking there's not a big benefit, but you know who knows? That is something that could certainly shift. Well, when we talk about the regional rankings too, it's not just Team A has a loss to someone that's regionally ranked and Team B has a loss to someone that's regionally ranked because if you lose to team number one in the South and the other team has lost to team number 10 in the East, those may not be the same thing. So the committee has the flexibility to apply that criteria in the most common sense way. In any case, Pool C, right now I'm looking at St. Thomas Bethel winner, Baldwin Wallace, John Carroll winner, Salisbury Frostburg loser, center, Harden Simmons. And then here's where it gets dicey because the cutoff might be below this. Uh, Muhlenberg, which fell behind Johns Hopkins when it lost head-to-head last week, but has that at uh, non-conference win over Thomas Moore. Case Western Reserve, which doesn't really have uh, anything it can latch onto besides a close loss to Washington and Jefferson. And then Misericordia, I think right now, we think that may be the odd team out in the MAC. Now, there's no guarantee that they finish 9-1 anyway, but if they do, don't really see a path to them getting a Pool C bid unless some teams in front stumble. Pat, is there anyone that I didn't uh, mention in this Pool C group that you think has a pretty good shot off the top of your head? Well, there, I guess there's always a possibility that something shakes out in uh, in a way that's impactful out of the CCIW, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the teams that have uh, one loss will probably have to take another loss in order to get into Pool C, but I would say it's not entirely impossible. It, it'd be interesting to see how that shakes out or maybe you know if enough teams lose the baldwin wallace john carroll loser perhaps and of course linfield we didn't talk about we expect linfield to be behind the miac second place team but i suspect that at least linfield gets to the board and gets discussed so i would say that linfield at least has a right to feel hopeful even if they aren't necessarily going to get in yeah, I think Linfield is in the same boat with Case Western Reserve. We're gonna we're gonna throw out the loss to Carroll Montana because um, it's a non D three game. It doesn't it doesn't apply as far as playoff criteria. But what do they have to to hang their hats on? Where's their their win over regionally ranked opponent? Where's their um, powerful strength of schedule? They basically just have the loss to Whitworth, and and I think when they get to the board, it's going to be tough for them to go up against some of these other teams who have strong criteria. But as we mentioned in the case of of Harden Simmons and Center as well, like they both also have this 0-1 record against regionally ranked opponents. So maybe it's a year where the resumes of the Pool C teams aren't super strong and we could see a surprise. One team, one 
uh, conference that I left out of the, the Pool C discussion, I realized we kind of glazed over this one, uh, was the, the the North Coast teams. Wittenberg is 7-1, and one, Wabash 7-1, and one, Denison is 6-2. and two. There's a scenario where Denison actually is the last team uh, standing in the North Coast. And because all those teams, I believe all of them have played each other already. Yep. So we could see nine and one Wittenberg, nine and one Wabash, and, and probably they should be in this discussion as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, here's my advice to you if you're a fan of one of those teams that we just mentioned. First of all, uh, you want to avoid surprises. Surprise, surprise, surprise. So you don't want uh, Brockport to lose to Cortland because they're all of a sudden a pool C shoe in. And right now they're not even in the discussion, right? We're assuming they're a pool A team. So if Cortland beats Brockport, all of a sudden extra team gets thrust into pool C, maybe bumps you down a spot. You also want to root against the other teams in the pod. We talked about uh, if Salisbury would lo- lose to both Wesley and Frostburg, and that's pretty realistic, actually. Um, that would knock a team ahead of you or in that could be on the board the same time as you. That would knock that team out. It would not actually help as much if Salisbury won both of those games and earned the NJX automatic bid because Frostburg, right now undefeated, they would only have the Week 11 loss, we're assuming in this scenario, and they'd have a pretty good resume. So there are some things you can do to, to sort of hope for your team to, uh, to, to look better in Pool C. But the cool thing, Pat, is by the time we come back for the Monday pod, we'll have a much more clear idea of, of what we're looking at, at for Week 11. Yep, we'll have a lot more of the automatic bids that we can uh, mark in bold. Uh, And then on Wednesday, we'll have another set of regional rankings. So we'll get another look at where the committee sees the at-large picture, and we can uh, get you more analysis there. We'll have analysis on the website with that information on Wednesday afternoon when the regional rankings come out. And we welcome in Adam Turr. Adam, of course, writes the Around the Nation column on D3Football.com. This week, Adam, you had an opportunity to check back in with the Wabash program, which has been dealing with the death by suicide of Evan Hansen back in September. Really good story. Tell us a little bit about the conversations and just the story in general. Well, thanks, Pat. You know, there, there are some remarkable young men in that program that are dealing with it with a season that obviously they didn't ever expect to, to have to deal with this tragedy. Uh, and the fact that they're winning games and they won a big game on Saturday uh, to go to seven and one on the season. But even without that win over Wittenberg in overtime, it's been a pretty uh, impressive, impressive season for those young men. You know, something like that could could send a team spiraling and it's really brought them closer together. And, you know, even when they were winning some games earlier this season, it just didn't feel right. And that was one thing that, you know, speaking to two of their senior captains in Oliver Page and Kyle McAtee, you know, they were honest that, you know, they even when they were winning games, they they weren't enjoying them. They weren't celebrating them. And this past Saturday, getting the win over Wittenberg, being in the driver's seat for the North Coast title, you know, there's the first time really since Evan's passing on September 10th that they actually felt happy. And they even told I me, mean, I remember Oliver said, you know, it sounds sad. But it's the first time I've actually felt joy in six, seven weeks. And the most remarkable person I, I've had the opportunity to speak to is Chuck Hansen, Evan's father. You know, Chuck uh, reached out after reading one of my columns uh, the week of Evan's passing, and we've been in touch through email and text ever since then. Uh, he's just a, a source of strength for the whole program, him and his wife, Mary. You know, the players and coaches have really looked to them, and it's inspired them. And, you know, they want to do well for the Hanson family and they want to succeed and stay strong for them. And and the Hanson family reciprocates that now, coach Don Morell uh, getting the coach's perspective for the first time, you know, hearing what he and his staff have gone through and, and the help they've gotten and how it's 
you know, made him a better coach. And it's really just uh, been a program changing season for them. And we've definitely seen where, you know, as you mentioned, the, this could be uh, something where a team's destiny for the season could go in one of two directions, right? They could completely fall off the table. And we've seen that happen. We saw uh, an instance where a team lost an assistant coach early in the year and kind of just never recovered emotionally. Uh, it could be something like happened with uh, WJ and Tim McNerney a, a, a few years ago where, you know, his death was uh, he, he was uh, he was killed in uh, October of that year in 2012. And WJ kind of rallied around him. It, it really is. Uh, I don't know. And I've never having been in that situation. I don't know what uh, you know, what are the factors that go into it? But obviously it's, uh, you know, something that Wabash may have started off a little slowly with, but seems to be rallying now. Yeah, and not just the the tragic nature of it, losing a teammate and a friend, but you know Evan was a four year starter at linebacker. He started uh, the second game of his freshman year, and he started every game since then. Uh, and at the middle linebacker, he was a senior captain, so you know it has an impact directly on the field as well. Uh, and you know some players say that you know they can feel his, his presence on Saturdays. Uh, others say you know that they don't believe in superstitions, and you know everyone kind of handles that aspect of it differently. Uh, but you know, his his forces missed on the field on Saturdays, too. I mean, he was a, a starter for so many games that, you know, they had to adapt on the field as well. And they've done a good job of that defensively. Well, Adam, good work. Thanks for writing the story. People go out and read it on D3Football.com. Yes, thank you. And thank you to, to Chuck Hansen and to all the Wabash players and coaches for being so open and honest and, and talking about it. And, you know, that's something that also they've learned through this process is, you know, it helps to talk. And for, I think that's the message for any other players out there or any readers out there who are struggling that, that it's okay to talk and the Wabash program is a shining example of you know how you can process your grief openly and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned and you know I've learned a lot just from my conversations with these men so thanks to them and and it's good to see them having some success and having some joy again and to listeners if you need help if you are considering suicide please please talk to someone you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Uh, you can tweet at 800-273-TALK to reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline as well. Uh, the Crisis Text Line, text HOME to 741-741. Text HOME to 741-741. Or access the Trevor Project at 1-866-488-7386. That's 866-488-7386. Next on the podcast, we're joined by Matthew Theobald, the head coach at Hanover College. His team uh, off to a 5-3 and three start this season. I guess once you're eight games into the season, it's time to stop calling it a start. But uh, in his third season, the, uh, the best record that uh, this team has had already, the most wins since 2013. Coach, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, Pat. Appreciate it. It's the time of year where, you know, it's kind of crunch time, right? Uh, if teams are still in contention for a conference title, then, you know, things are, are, are pretty frenetic. Maybe there's a little bit of extra stress, uh, that sort of thing. What's it like for you guys? You have uh, Rose Holman this week and then your big uh, rival Franklin next week. So two really tough games back to back to close out the regular season. We were fortunate. We got on a five game win streak and, and we knew our kind of our last uh, really three games of the year were going to be very, very tough with Mount St. Joe and Rose Holman and uh, and Franklin. And it, we've got we've got two more grinders coming up, uh, teams that we haven't beat since we've been here at uh, at Hanover. And, um, you know, our guys are, are really buying into kind of what we're teaching here and rebuilding the culture at Hanover. You know, I, I played here in the 90s uh, when we were kind of rolling. I played for Wayne Perry and 
Uh, just trying to bring back some of that tradition of pride. And uh, and part of that is going out and winning big games and putting yourself in, a, in an opportunity to, to play for a conference championship, which we haven't had that in a long, long time here at Hanover. So that's kind of the stress that we put on it. I told the team that we're a one-point underdog for the next two weeks, which we probably are in the in the uh, preseason polling. I think we were picked fourth. You know, but I, I like our chances of going out there, and we just we got to go out there and play competitive football and, and take care of the ball. Yeah, the glory days of Hanover football in Division Three are basically right as we started the website in the uh, in the yeah. late '90s or early 2000s. You know, a couple of uh, playoff trips in there, actually a few playoff trips in there, um, and having you know you having that connection with you know some of those guys who played on those teams and that sort of thing. You know, is it easy to then kind of reconnect with the alumni who might have fallen away during some of the lean times? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are excited about what we're doing here, and and I get texts and emails and phone calls all the time before a game and even after a game. And uh, there's a lot of people excited, and and we've tried to bring bring back some of the traditions that we had here when I was a player and an assistant coach, and um, and and it's kind of the Wayne Perry model. I mean, there's a school up north that I worked for for 13 years, and they're our big rival. <laughs> Um, who used the same model to turn that thing around from a two and eight to, you know, they, they've been dominating the conference and, and we're doing the same thing. And that's going out and getting great assistant coaches and, and guys that believe in what the head coach wants to do. And, and then uh, going out and finding good, talented players. And I, I think the, the alums are jumping back into the boat. I mean, uh, it's amazing. Uh, the amount of professors who, when we're in the cafeteria, you know, come up, Hey coach, great season, keep it rolling. We're excited. We're going to be at the game and, you know, I, I don't know if that's happened in a long, long time here at Hanover. So um, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of our guys for for putting in the effort and, and believing and buying into what we're preaching here. And uh, but we got to keep it rolling. And, and and five and three sounds great, but we we want to finish seven and three. That's the that's the goal right now. And and but we got to beat Rolls Holman and play well against those guys, and then we'll take on the Evil Empire up north. So that Evil Empire, of course, Franklin uh, and Coach Mike Leonard has kind of. Uh, he, he's got his guys now coaching in a bunch of different places around this conference now. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I worked with Mike for 13 years and I actually uh, was interested and came to Hanover uh, via Mike Leonard. He was the first guy that really talked to me about it and he was a family friend. And then uh, then he got a job going out at Holy Cross and I, I ended up coming here. And then he came back in 2000. We had a great relationship. We, I was the offensive assistant coach and he was the offense coordinator and I left and, and was out in Pennsylvania for a couple of years. And then he got the head coaching job at Franklin. And I think I might've called him and said, Hey, uh, I want you to hire me. And, and we, we worked up there for 13 years and, and had a great relationship. I mean, it's, we're no Bo Schimbeckler or, you know, Woody Hayes, that type of, uh, of relationship. I mean, we talk and probably once a week text message, probably more than that. I mean, he's kind of my big brother and, and I learned a lot from him and a lot from Wayne Perry. And I've been, I've been very fortunate in my coaching career. I think every every guy that I've played under or coached under is, is in some type of Hall of Fame, whether it's the high school football coach that I played for, Wayne Perry, who's the all-time winningest coach, and Mike Leonard, he's he's probably going to break the record and be in the Hall of Fame as well. So I've had some great mentors. Uh, but Mike and I have a great relationship, and, and I've got a lot of guys on my staff. I think everybody's either played or coached at Franklin at one time or another during their career. And so that, that game's awfully big to us. On a personal level, and, and you know this this year it's got a, a little bit more implications with with possibly deciding who's going to be the conference champ. 
Right, exactly. So, yeah, two losses early in the season and then a loss last week against Mount St. Joseph. But the, the way the standings are shaping up, you guys have still the opportunity to clinch a, a share of that uh, a share of that conference title here in the last two weeks. We, we do. Um, we, you know, we kind of did some of the math and we figured we probably had to win two out of the last three uh, to make it happen. Obviously, you want to win them all. But we uh, we've got a good shot again. Now it's it's, it's we've been talking to our guys about it. it's playoff time and. If it's winter, go home. You know, if you want to have a chance to say, hey, we played for a conference championship, uh, you know, we know the road goes through Franklin, but we got we got our eyes set on Rose and trying to take care of those guys first. But but I, I think in the back of our minds, we've been kind of we've had that game marked since January. You've had these guys for nine regular season weeks and three weeks or so in the preseason and then, you know, 15 or 16 or whatever practices back in the spring. What's left to teach to a team? What do you work on with a team at this point in the season in practice? We've been playing the last uh, four games with a backup quarterback. Our starter towards ACL uh, right before the Earlham game. And we've got a young man who never started a varsity high school football game. He sat behind a division one guy at St. X in Louisville and, uh, so we're constantly working with him, making sure he's ready, working on footwork, making sure he's, he's taking care of the ball, So, which we've got to get better at. It's also the time of year where practices just kind of by design get short, right? Especially if you don't have, uh, if you don't have lights, then the, uh, the afternoon goes by pretty quickly. You're either practicing the dark or underneath some, uh, some temporary lights, and you don't have a lot of time to work with guys. We don't. Uh, with, our, with the class schedule being you know, right up till 4 o'clock is where most of our freshman classes end. Uh, we get them out there about 4.15, and it's, you know, especially when this daylight savings times hit, it, it's about 5, 5.15, and you're you're kind of rushed off the field just because we can't see anymore, and, and that's okay. I mean, our guys know the know the gist of what we're doing, and, and you know, we're really just game planning, and, and some of the stuff we can teach from film, and just, you know, if they don't know the drill by now, they're not going to know it, and so uh, it's really just about getting game plan, and getting our guys mentally ready to go. So physically, they should already have the tools to go out there and be successful as far as blocking and tackling. Um, really, it's just making sure they know who to block and who to tackle and who to cover uh, that we're really working on. You know, today, you know, we've got to, we may get rained out. We just talked about putting together a practice that's going to be 15 minutes long in the rain. So that's the stuff. You know, we don't have an indoor complex, and, and we do. We have to share it with seven other sports. So and that's one of the, the hiccups here. What's working well for you guys right now? When you guys are playing well, especially like you did on that uh, five-game streak, what were the things that were clicking? Well, I think defensively, um, we've really come around. Uh, I think the guys really bought in this year. And actually, my first two years, I was the offensive receivers coach and and, kind of helped out a little bit with the offense. I wanted to have my hands in that. And uh, this year, I thought I needed to move over to to really get the defense going. And uh, so I stepped in and started coaching DBs and Coach Galt, our, our defense coordinator, has done a great job. Um, and he and I had worked together at Franklin. I was a defense coordinator and he worked for me as my linebacker coach. And then I went to be the OC and he was the DC at Franklin. So we speak the same language and our, our linebackers have been playing really well. Our upfront guys, we can rotate five or six or seven guys and there's not a whole lot of drop off. And uh, But our defense has been, been playing really well. And then uh, offensively, We've really been running the ball and uh, and getting some big plays from our receiver Sean Cohen. I think he's either first or second in the uh, in the HCAC rushing, and he's kind of a workhorse. Uh, um, our last uh, our, our our last uh, game against Mount St. Joe, I think in our our second touchdown drive, we ran the ball thirteen out of fourteen plays, and that's that's not very 
characteristic for a Hanover <laughs> college offense, especially when I was here in the 90s where we threw the ball 75, 80 times a game back then. So, uh, But our, our offense coordinators do a great job of, of really finding ways to, to move the ball. But again, we've been working with a backup, and I guess he's not really a backup anymore because he is our starter. Um, but, you know, trying to bring a, a guy that's young and, and didn't get us quite as many reps as, as the starter did during training camp and bring him along, and, and he's done a nice job of really – managing the offense and making the throws when we needed to make them. I did not realize that Coach Perry stayed on to coach golf after he uh, retired from the football program. What was it like having him around and then having him to kind of, you know, bounce ideas off of and that sort of thing? Awesome. I mean, Coach P was the guy that got me into uh, college coaching. He, he and a guy by the name of Jeff Hand and Mike Immendorfer up at Wisconsin Platteville. Those were the three guys that kind of sat me down and said, hey, you can, you can do this um, if you want to and, and gave me the opportunity and so I'm always grateful for those guys, but it's great. Just it was great popping into Coach P's office and 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 just kind of shooting the breeze with him. And and he's such a, a wealth of knowledge, and he's been in about every situation you could possibly think of. I'm, I'm really trying to work on his wife to see if he can maybe come out and be a volunteer coach for us and just help out with the offensive line. Yeah, uh, you know when he wants to. I, I told him said he can come out to practice whenever he wants. The the field's named after him, so he has first rights right. to come out and do anything he wants on it. So. Um, but I love him like a second dad. Uh, he's always been great to me and, and, and super supportive of me and was one of the big reasons. And, and the guy that reached out to me that said, hey, you know, we want you to be the head coach at, at Hanover. And and, uh, and, and kind of, I don't want to say sold me. It was, this is an easy sell. But, you know, really said, hey, you can do great things here. And, and, and if Coach Perry tells you that, then, you know, I'd still run through a wall for him. I don't know how fast I'd run through that wall, but I'd still run through a wall for him because uh, he's just a, he's an awesome person. So enjoyed seeing him. I enjoy seeing him around campus. He still makes it to all the home games. So it's awesome seeing him. Now on the podcast, we're going to head to our six games to watch, and we're going to start with Frank Rossi. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. While six of the nine East Region conferences have potential playoff-clinching scenarios playing out Saturday, one conference in particular has a huge de facto championship game as number three Brockport hosts Cortland in the Empire 8 championship. Let's face it, both teams would like to forget about their Week 9 games as Cortland beat a one-win St. John Fisher team by 19 points with just 147 passing yards to show for it, and after Brockport beat a mid-pack Utica team by just 16 points. Whether the Week 9 close games are caused by weather, injuries, or both, these two teams know what's at stake for Week 10. Win and you're in, lose and your fate is in the committee's hands. Brockport is no stranger to this scenario as they hosted Alfred last season in Week 10, only to watch junior quarterback Joe Germanario get carted off the field as the Golden Eagles held on to win the game and the Empire 8 title by 10 points. Germanario has been steady overall this season, passing for 17 touchdowns and rushing for five against just four interceptions. But the real highlight of the Golden Eagles' undefeated season so far has been the team's rush defense, which is now averaging minus 20 yards per game allowed. Again, that's the national best minus 20 yards per game. Assuming the rush offense of Cortland can't do what eight other teams failed to do this season, score a rushing touchdown on Brockport, it means focus is on Red Dragons quarterback Brett Segala, who's averaging over 290 yards passing per game, and is outscoring German area with 25 passing touchdowns and five rushing scores. Yet his consistency is a little more in question as he's thrown for nine interceptions this season, including four in the last two games. The weather forecast for Brockport Saturday is cold, a high of 43 degrees and a 50% chance for showers, with running back Joe Benedict, leading receiver Tyree Brown, and defensive back Jake 
Mike O'Connell all banged up and potentially out for this game. Brockport faces an upstart Cortland team on a five-game winning streak that's beginning to catch attention as shown by the East Regional Advisory Committee placing the 7-1 Red Dragons at the number five position of the first East Regional rankings. But it's always tough to take down number one and even in a low-scoring game last week, Brockport gained over 500 yards of offense while allowing minus 62 rushing yards at Utica. A scary thought for any team facing Brockport on Halloween week. Back to you, co-host number one and co-host number two in no particular order. Make it so, number one. Well, we go from co-host number one and two to team number 10 in the poll at number 13. That's North Central at Illinois Westland. And I'm fascinated by this game because I've seen North Central in perhaps its worst game of the season, a 52-30 shellacking by Wheaton. And I've seen Illinois Westland in its loss and perhaps its best game of the season last week against Milliken. The Titans also beat Wheaton but are underranked in the poll, and this game could help sort everything out. It also could be Illinois Wesleyan's chance to clinch a playoff spot. But North Central has won the past eight meetings in 14 of the past 15, not to mention four games rather easily since the Wheaton loss. North Central takes control of the CCIW race with a win, but would still need to beat third place Milliken to clinch unless Milliken stumbles this week against Wash U, which has an identical 5-2, 6-2 record, the same record that Wheaton has. I hope you didn't get confused by all that. So maybe Illinois Wesleyan makes it easy on everyone and wins, but North Central quarterback Brock Rutter, yes, he's still there. He runs a highly efficient offense, leading the nation in both completion percentage and third down conversions. So Brandon Bauer and the Illinois Wesleyan offense might have to match it score for score, but defensively, the Cardinals have been good, just not in that Wheaton game. If you're only using that as your gauge, you'd say IWU, which only gave up 14 to Wheaton and not 52. They'd have the far superior defense, but they actually allow 25 points per game to North Central's 13.6, although in big games, Illinois Wesleyan is held up better. Let's see how it holds up this Saturday. And you don't get rid of Brock Rutter after this year either. Let's send it out to Adam Turr. The Wolverines find themselves in unfamiliar territory. For the first time since 2004, Wesley is going to miss the playoffs. The Wolverines can now play spoiler this week at Salisbury. The Seagulls are undefeated but play the most backloaded schedule in the NJAC. Salisbury travels to Frostburg State next week in what will essentially be a championship game for the NJAC crown. But first, the Gulls must face a Wesley team that is a mere three points away from being unbeaten. Each of the Wolverines' three losses this season has been by just one point. Every loss had a common theme. Wesley committed multiple turnovers, had at least four penalties, and missed an extra point or botched the snap on a point after try. The Wolverines are still the most talented team in the NJAC, but have learned this season how narrow their margin for error is. The Seagulls won the NJAC's automatic playoff berth in 2015, the program's first season in the conference since moving over from the Empire 8. They have not been to the playoffs since then. Every opponent knows what's coming when they prepare for Salisbury's vaunted triple option rushing attack. Good luck stopping it. The Seagulls lead the nation with 386.8 rushing yards per game. Three different backs, Kadarius Campbell, Jack Nowitzki, and Mike Ryan Mofor, have rushed for over 600 yards apiece this season. The ground game struggled in a 17-15 win over Montclair State in Week 7, but appears to be back on track. The Gulls rolled up 496 yards, averaging 7.9 yards per carry, in last week's impressive 45-7 thumping of Rowan. With a playoff berth out of the question, will Wesley be motivated to take out its frustrations on Salisbury? Will the Gulls continue to build a momentum from last week's dominant performance without looking ahead to the Week 11 showdown with Frostburg? Pat and Keith, back to you. Number 16, Delaware Valley, is at Kings on Saturday. And to be honest, I haven't paid the Aggies a ton of attention since their week one loss to Wesley, but they've been pretty good as they shot to the top of the MAC. They've had just 10 turnovers in eight games, and a defense that has replaced nine starters from last year's juggernaut has 18 turnovers and 25 sacks. 
Kings is coming off a 41-23 loss to Misericordia. And since the Mac co-leaders don't play this year, have we mentioned that? Uh, a comparative score in back-to-back weeks against Kings might be the best measurement we get of who's better between DelVal and Misericordia. DelVal, of course, can't afford to stumble in its chase for the MAC title and for playoff bid reasons, but they're all also on the four line in the regional rankings just in front of Cortland and Salisbury, who both could leapfrog the Aggies with wins on Saturday. That can mean the difference between being a home team in round one or on the road. So there are a lot of subplots here besides just DelVal trying to beat four and four Kings. Yeah, we know you're getting already the longest podcast of the season, and that's just the way it is. It's the time of the year where bids are clinched and bids are handed out and the podcast gets a little long, but uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, First game I'm going to preview here is uh, McMurray at Martin Luther. And uh, when McMurray heads to New Ulm, Minnesota on Saturday, this is going to feature two of the smallest Division three schools, two of the smallest seven battling out for a trip to the big dance. Martin Luther can win the automatic bid outright with a win on Saturday, while McMurray is hoping to force a three-way tie and then get its name pulled in a random draw. That's what would happen in the UMAC if McMurray wins Saturday and ends up in a three-way tie with Martin Luther and St. Scholastica after Week 11. I don't think we can call it a renaissance at Martin Luther, but perhaps a reformation after several down seasons, including an 0-10 mark in 2016. Knights have a good amount of offensive talent, but so does McMurray. Martin Luther is also pretty good at holding onto the ball and has picked off 14 passes this season. McMurray will be giving Bobby Tedesco his second career start at quarterback, while its defense has allowed just 16.6 points per game. It could rain in New Ulm on Saturday, and Martin Luther has a grass field, which will make things even more interesting. But either way, these are two programs looking for their first ever trip to the playoffs. And we wrap up this segment with the game of the year in the Commonwealth Coast Conference, where Western New England will be playing at Endicott. Both the Golden Bears and the Gulls come in undefeated in the conference, and WNEU can clinch the automatic playoff bid with a win on Saturday. As a reminder, these are two teams under new head coaches, and we talked with uh, Western New England's Jason LeBeau on this podcast last week. Endicott is coached by Paul McGonigal, who coached in D3 previously, but is in his first year with the Gulls. Golden Bears quarterback Al Coleman proved last week that he can win a game in wicked weather, completing just two passes but rushing for 284 yards and four touchdowns in a win against Nichols. Junior Joe Koloski has worked his way back under center for Endicott and has completed 57% of his passes. Western New England has looked stronger this season, but this game is still a toss-up, and the CCC will be a one-bid league, with the winner moving on and the, lo- and the loser looking for a postseason bowl game. If Endicott wins on Saturday, then it also needs to defeat Salve Regina next week in Week 11 to clinch that automatic bid. All right, it's time for On the Spot. Keith, I don't know if we count last week and then go to a new coin flip, or uh, what do we want to do? Oh, I say coin flip, new coin flip. I have here a homestead quarter. That's a new one for me. I don't think I've seen one of these up close and personal. I know it's real important. Keith, uh, are you picking tails once again? Tails never fails. That's what I've heard. Keith, it's tails. Uh, You're going on defense? I'll I'll give first, as they say in the $64,000 pyramid. Pyramid, by the way, one of my favorite game shows. Thanks for the reference. Oh, by far the best game shows, Press Your Luck, and I will not debate this. I also think Tails probably fails uh, statistically 50% of the time, but I was not a math major. It's my understanding that there would be no math. For On the Spot this week for you, Pat, the game is called On the Margins, and this is how it works. I'm going to give you five games that we have not previously mentioned on this podcast. All you have to do is rank them in the order you think the margin of victory will play out. 
Yeah, and so do I give the largest margin of victory first or the smallest? Let's go large to small. All right, sounds good. Here are the five games. One and seven Wilmington at one and seven Capital. HBCU Hampton, not Hampton City, this is Hampton, at SUNY Maritime. Merchant Marine at your alma mater, Catholic. Rowan at Montclair State. And Lake Erie in 0-8-D2 at Thomas More. All right, so this is interesting. We're going to start with the big blowouts. And I appreciate that you have... Uh put up for me here that uh, Lake Erie is 0-8 in Division 2, so I don't have to go search that out. That'll be helpful. I think I'm going to take, gosh, I think I'm going to take Hampton at SUNY Maritime to give the uh, the largest blowout. This is a game that was added to the SUNY Maritime schedule when Mount Ida dropped academics, so uh, I can only assume that uh, even though I don't know much about Hampton, I can assume that a, a D1 FCS school is probably going to have its way with SUNY Maritime. So that's going to be first. Uh, second, I'm going to have to go with uh, Merchant Marine over Catholic. Uh, no matter how many times we mentioned that they're my alma mater, they've not been very good this year, and I don't suspect that this will be the game that they decide to that they end up winning. Um, that leaves kind of in the middle for me, uh, Lake Erie at Thomas More. I don't know much about Lake Erie, um, but I feel like Thomas More will probably uh, not have this as in hand as the Merchant Marine game would be. Uh, then we're going to pick up a, a team that's uh, a game that probably will have some good defense. And Rowan and Montclair State will be second to last or second to lowest scoring margin for me. And then I expect the uh, Wilmington and Capital game to be a pretty good one and hopefully a pretty close one because I've picked that to be the closest one of these five. You made that on the spot concise and interesting. I'm impressed. How is that possible? I was pretty sure I don't make any uh, any of these on the spot concise. That's for sure. I mean, once you set the bar where you set it, it's all easy from here. Right. Shorter than seven and a half minutes. Check. All right. Um, Keith, I really wanted you to play autocorrect last week, uh, so we're going to do this again this week. Uh, autocorrect, as a reminder for uh, those of you who uh, listened to last week's podcast, basically is uh, I'm going to give Keith a handful of teams, and these were all teams that Frank Rossi picked wrong in last week's uh, Around the Nation Game Day podcast. And Keith not only has to pick a winner in the game involving this team, he has to announce the result of the game as if it had been changed in autocorrect. So, for example, if you were to pick, and this is the example that I used last week, but if you were going to say Alvernia defeats Widener, then you might choose to say Algeria defeats Widened. I got you. The funny thing is you could play this game backwards. You could give me the game as autocorrected, and then I would have to guess who the two teams are and then pick a winner that's that's even more clever we'll have to put that aside for uh, 2019 because we're almost to the end of this season and this podcast hopefully <laughs> uh maybe we uh we're getting pretty close the uh six teams that uh that frank incorrectly picked last week are william patterson catholic johns hopkins montclair state bridgewater and co or if you were Thinking about them last week, a couple of these were from the uh, from the pick six, but also Minty State, Bridewater, and Code, I believe, was uh, how they were referenced. I gotta admit that sounds pretty clever. Um, I'll see if I can live up to Frank's cleverness. First game on this list is William Patterson at Southern Virginia. Man, both of these teams have struggled to score this year, so let me pick my winner first. I think Southern Virginia is probably a little bit more uh, well-rounded, and they're at home. So I'll take them 
uh, because that's a pretty long trip from from North Jersey to southwestern Virginia. William Patterson at Southern. So I've chosen Southern Virginia as my winner, and I'll have to phrase it as Wilding Peterson at Southern Vagina. <laughs> Defeats Southern Vagina. Okay, gotcha. Uh, next game on this list is one that we've already talked about. It is Merchant Marine at Catholic. Well, we've, we agree that Merchant Marine will likely win this game. Um, they not only have a lot to play for, and uh, Catholic has struggled also on offense. Seem, seems to be a theme here. Um, but I think I, I think uh, they won't be caught looking ahead to the to the Coast Guard game. So Merchant, uh, Mercantile, Mariner, Catholicism. Can I do? Is that cheating? I don't really see why not. I think that works fine. Sure, go for it. Okay. So what I say, uh, mercant- merchandise, Mariner defeats Catholicism. And you know. That's probably true at some point in history. Who knows? All right. Uh, next game is uh, Johns Hopkins at Juniata. This should have uh, some good possibilities. Sure, sure. Well, uh, the pick part is easy because Hopkins is, uh, has been rolling since its loss midseason. Juniata has, uh, has not been so hot. And obviously Hopkins needs to keep winning because Uhlenberg is uh, breathing down their necks in the, uh, in the Centennial Conference race. So, Hoppin' John defeats Juanita. Juanita is the go-to. In fact, I've heard many people pronounce Juniata or Junita as uh, as Juanita. It's not only that; it's just uh, that's a that's a candidate for a P one hundred one at some point. Next game is Rowan at Montclair State. Please come up with something better than Minty State. Hmm. Well, I first have to pick a winner, and I and I, it's weird because Rowan played so well against Wesley. Uh, then didn't play well at all against Salisbury the following week, Montclair State. Uh, honestly, kind of got away with one at Wesley, but 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 played well enough to win. Uh, but Wesley, you know, fumbled on the one going in, missed a 23-yard field goal, dropped a snap early in that game, really uh, gave themselves a chance. So I think uh, this is at Montclair State. Correct. Okay, so I'm going to pick Montclair State, and I'm going to phrase it as uh, Eclair status defeats rowing. And I'm doing the actual motion with my arms like I'm rowing a, a boat. You just have me pondering my Eclair status right now. I, my Eclair status is uh, DEFCON 5. I have no Eclairs anywhere near me. I mean, it's probably time to make the donuts right now. It's getting close, that's for sure. Uh, up next is Emery and Henry at Bridgewater. Got lots of uh, proper names in there for you this week, just to harken back to uh, a uh, spot on the spot from several weeks ago. Well, I'm going to pick uh, Bridgewater, and this may be going out on a limb, but the ODAC, uh, you never can really figure it out. Some weeks, some teams look good, some teams don't. Uh, Bridgewater looked good against Randolph Macon. Emery and Henry did not, and that is pretty much my basis for that pick. Uh, can I? I'm going to. Sp- Bell Emery, like an Emery board, right? Okay. Emery Ornery. All right, so Emery and, and Ornery. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. So I'll say uh, Bad Waiter defeats Emery and Ornery. 
Sounds good. I, I suspect a bad waiter would make you pretty ornery also. The uh, final game of this six in autocorrect is Loris at Co. Co uh, surprised me with the with the win over Central, which is really the the result that um, tumbled the ARC into a three way uh, tie right now between Dubuque, Simpson, and Wartburg. Uh, Central two weeks ago was seven and zero, not quite in control as we've since learned, but uh, but was certainly sitting pretty. And now they're seven and two and in fourth place. So uh, life comes at you fast, as they say. So I'll take Co as my winner. And um, I'll I'll phrase it as Core defeats Lorax. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. Clearly, this person's phone is is someone who's spent a lot of time texting about their kids' Dr. Seuss collection. <laughs> that was on the spot. Now it's time to do the spot check, and we get to uh, we get to spot check Frank this week, which was nice. Uh, Frank correctly picked Whoopi to beat Might, or that was a WPI over MIT. He picked Alien over Finland, which is actually Albion over Finlandia. And he picked UW La Crisscross, which is my favorite pick of the day, uh, to defeat UW Plateville. He missed on Minty State defeating Whitley, which would have been Montclair over Wesley, uh, and Bridewater over Shenandoah. Uh, as as well as Code over Entrail, which would have been Co over Central. I'm pretty sure, Keith, that uh, Shenandoah is how the ESPN news anchor would have pronounced that school if it had come up on our 2003 selection show broadcast. I, I feel like Shenandoah, since it's an, it's an actual region, is, is something that somebody should be able to pronounce. But then again, uh, pronounce, by the way. But then again, uh, so is Allegheny. Yeah, that, that that's the same person who mispronounced Allegheny or pronounced it that way. Uh, Frank had me play some mascot-type game. It was a game with no name. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan defeated Milliken, and, and uh, Olivet defeated Kalamazoo, and I spoke it exactly like a comet would sound in the vacuum of space. That's why you didn't hear it. Cortland beat St. John Fisher in the sound of a dragon. Uh, Trinity, Connecticut clucked its way past Middlebury. I missed on Marietta, uh, and I got their mascot wrong <laughs> because they are the Pioneers rather than the Spartans. And I got uh, Randolph Macon over Emery and Henry. We got the uh, we got the right buzzing, stinging insect. So he made you make your picks in the sound of the mascot. I know, isn't that something? That's pretty good. That's a good one. It's not that bad. might be a keeper. Have to we'll have to think about keeping that one around, but probably not in a game that features, say, the big blue or a uh, celestial object. Roulette wheel is spinning. We're looking for. A game out of 122 this week. Our random number this week is actually 122. So we'll be talking about the last game of the night in Division Three football on November 3rd, Keith, and that is Redlands at Whittier. That is an 8.05 Eastern kickoff, 5.05 Pacific time. And uh, we have to also, of course, come up with a rivalry trophy for this game between the Poets and the Bulldogs. And That sounds painful. It, I, I can't think of what a, a bulldog poet trophy sounds like. You know, the the I remember the Whittier mascot carrying this big fountain pen. I'm not sure that's super helpful. Do it in the sound of a bark to play Frank's game last week. <laughs> All right. So this uh, Redlands at Whittier game, maybe we don't have a, a great uh, trophy for it. Whittier, of course, is a, a team that uh, recently snapped a very long losing streak. They've played a couple of competitive games since. They only lost by 13 to Claremont last weekend. Uh, they lost to Laverne 42-23. And Redlands, you know, they beat Chapman on that same week, the uh, week that I was out there on the West Coast. 
and then lost to Claremont the following week, but have beaten uh, Laverne and Cal Lutheran the following two weeks. Uh, Redlands is in a situation where you know they are not out of the uh, they're not out of the race yet. They're in sole possession of second place. Uh, they have to hope Claremont loses twice, which is not impossible. And, and uh, Redlands certainly has the possibility of winning out with uh, having Whittier and Occidental the final two weeks of the season. Yeah, and, and Redlands, just the two losses this season at Linfield and against Claremont Mudscripts have been pretty solid. Otherwise, I got to watch them way back in week one against George Fox. They certainly weren't dominant, but a lot of times teams don't look so hot in week one. Pat, you mentioned uh, Whittier and its uh, losing streak being broken. That was against Occidental on October 6th. That was at Oxy, and so it's almost – I mean, obviously it counts, but it, you're, you're beating a program that's basically – yeah, I don't want to say playing a JV year, but but basically getting its numbers back up so it, the program can sustain itself. Uh, that was a 28-13 to 13 win. I thought you, were, you correctly pointed out their competitiveness in the weeks since – to uh to to signal that you know that Whittier is uh is maybe headed in the right direction. I don't think you'll see it uh at home against Redlands this week and you may not um see a win against Cal Lutheran either. But um but it's good that we're talking about him and it's good that you randomly picked a game where you had been to the region this time of year so you can tell us about sunny Southern California. Absolutely. Redlands has a couple of trophy games that they play for. I love the smudge pot trophy, but that's against Cal Lutheran. I'm not sure that I'm going to come up with anything, anything particularly good uh, to, 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 for these two teams to play for. So I guess this is going to be like the, uh, the poet bulldog cup or something. Oh, the red and white game. Come on. Redlands and white here. Oh, I see. No, nothing. No, that's, that's witty enough. It's certainly wittier than what I came up with. Uh, I see what you did there, especially with one-liners coming up, right? So here are the uh, here's the six games, and uh, Keith is going to respond to them in a one-line format. It is uh, Rose Holman at Hanover, Dubuque at Simpson, Framingham State at Western Connecticut, Defiance at Earlham, Amherst at Trinity, Connecticut, and Monmouth at Knox. Well, if you've listened to this entire podcast, whether it's taking you a couple of days to get through or a couple of stops in the car, bits and pieces. If you made it through the whole thing, you've uh, heard plenty about Hanover. But how about those fighting engineers, Rose Holman, who uh, haven't lost since September and are back at 500 since an 0-3 start? Central, as we mentioned earlier, was in control of the ARC at 7-0, but consecutive losses to Warburg and Co. have opened the door for Dubuque, Simpson, and Warburg. Uh, that's the MassCAC title game, essentially, Framingham State at Western Connecticut. In uh, Earlham, they've got a chance, by the way, to break that 51-game losing streak against Defiance, which has scored a mere 81 points this season to Earlham's 57. That's about a 10-7 to 7 average score if you, if you take the two teams' uh, total score for the season and slice it over the number of games they've played. But I, get, I bet we get better than a 10-7 game. Both teams uh, get to have a little fun, and one will get to win. Before the NESCAC's big rivalry week, when you see the, uh, the Trinity Wesleyan game and all the uh, obviously Amherst and Williams, you get to look at the teams that have traditionally controlled the conference the past decade and so or so. That's uh, the Lord. Wait, they're not the Lord Jeffs anymore. They're the Mammoths uh, at the Bantams, which, uh, you know, I had to look up once what a Bantam was. I don't think I've ever heard a person in real life refer to their chicken as a, as a Bantam, but uh, that's why Trinity people are smarter than Randolph-Macon people, I guess. 
The bronze turkey game between Monmouth and Knox has certainly seen better days. It has some of the best rivalry trophy theft stories this side of the Monon Bell. But the Scots need to continue rolling because they have a chance to be a problem in the playoffs this season. So I imagine they'll dismiss with the uh, Prairie Fire pretty quickly. And by the way, Prairie Fire might be the best mascot name in D3. Keith, I think uh, Gordon Mann is smarter than either one of us. So I think that makes sense about Trinity grads. That's why I said it. And uh, we got to score quick hits before we get out of here. And of course, quick hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games with six people giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you six six packs of opinions. Please do not consume six six packs of alcoholic beverages, just six six packs of opinions. Last week's game of the week was most likely the Wabash Wittenberg game. And nobody picked that as our game of the week, but five people made some reasonable suggestions. Uh, everyone other than Frank, who picked the 45 7 snooze fest that was Salisbury at Rowan. Frank gets pretty quick redemption, though, as in question two, he and our guest Chad Hammonds each picked number 11 Wittenberg as the ranked team most likely to be upset. Chad was also the only person who picked a team which truly hurt its regional ranking last week. Frank and I both picked RPI since the engineers were taking a big dive in SOS, but it didn't appear to have any effect on RPI. They were still ranked third in the East when they came out this week. Given the choice of Kalamazoo, Misericordia, or Eureka, only those who chose Kalamazoo were incorrect, and that was Ryan, Frank, and Chad. And given the choice of Defiance, Earlham, or William Patterson, only Adam and I were close to correct as we chose Earlham, which was on its bye week. And finally, I'm going to give a bonus half point to Ryan Tips who said the winner of the Muhlenberg-Johns Hopkins game was in the driver's seat for Centennial Crownery. First time I've seen that as a turn of phrase. How about you, Keith? Yeah, I don't know if I've seen it, but I liked it when I saw it, and I like it even more now that you've repeated it. Uh, of course, longtime podcast listeners will remember the time when we used to make up words on the regular, so we appreciate the throwback from Ryan. You can see this week's quick hits on the website by noon on Friday. And both uh, Keith and I, after we ring off uh, recording this podcast, have to go write ours. So that is typically how it goes. It's time for pick six. We're still going to uh, throw six games at you, Keith. You ready? Oshkosh at Eau Claire. Oshkosh. Bates at Bowdoin. Oh, man. I don't know who's good at it. I'll go with Bates. I think you're uh, making a good call there. Framingham at Western Connecticut. West Con, Joe Loth, the fighting Joe Loths. <laughs> Wash you at Milliken. Man, that's that's a good one. Uh, you love you some Wash U, but I am going to go Milliken. Utica at Buff State. Utica bounces. They We're, we're giving them a, a credit for their not getting destroyed by Brockport. Uh, North Central at Illinois Wesleyan to wrap it up. Go Illinois Wesleyan. Been... been putting them in the top 15 all year guess i can't stop now and this was d3football.com around the nation podcast number 220 season 12 episode 22 released on november 2nd of 2018 thanks for listening and keep an eye on our coverage uh, the rest of it throughout the weekend if you like this podcast you know the deal a rating a review in apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify would go a long way towards making this podcast more visible to other people and it would certainly make keith and i very happy uh you can also leave comments for us on the blog page and we'll answer them we'll answer questions as well the executive producer of the around the nation podcast is pat coleman production assistance provided by dave McHugh. our theme music is by dj mentos whom you can find at djmentos.com thanks to our correspondents adam turr and frank rossi plus guest matt theobald and sports information director tyler jester for their time and their assistance on this edition of our show and of course thanks to the creator of around the nation on d3football.com and my co-host keith mcmillan 
You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? You can join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at D3Boards.com, and you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. Yeah, this will be like a 75-minute podcast. Remember, we used to do it like this all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows when, if people listen to them in chunks or, or uh, all the way through or whatever. But, um, but yeah, it's this is the time of the year for it. I don't have a problem with it. I guess it's probably one of those where you can listen to it on 1.5 speed, Frank, and we wouldn't be too upset. But it would really be upsetting to me if you did it for some of the shorter podcasts. I also think the this is the time where that that thing we did at the beginning is sort of necessary. You just got to make sense out of all the, the the conferences, and we really didn't even go into depth on some of them. No, that's true. There is so much here to be played out over the course of the next couple of weeks. So uh, stick with us and stick with D3Football.com because you're not going to get this from anybody else. But you're going to get like three podcasts a week. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.